Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast, which this week comes live from my monthly show at the BFI South Bank. Such a packed show, in fact, that we've split it over the course of two podcasts. On tonight's show, Jessica Hines will be telling us all about her guilty pleasure, and it's very guilty. But before that, we welcome to the stage Professor Sir Christopher Frayling to talk about his book about the making of Once Upon a Time in the West. So let's do, there's a couple of things in the news, um, the first of which is this, uh, did you see this news story about um, Avengers, oh no we did that first, we'll do that first, I'll do it that way, okay fine, so we lost two people, firstly we lost Peter Mayhew, yeah which is really sad, so Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca in most of the, uh, of the films, and oh, this, that's, that's such a great group photograph isn't that, it's such a brilliant group photograph, so um, a real shame, but again, the thing about, you know, legacy of film always lives on. Big Star Wars fans, everyone? Yeah, you see, I felt the same way for a long time. And actually, the older I get, the more I'm warming to them generally. I do think that the, that the new ones are absolutely brilliant. And also, significantly, we lost, at the age of 97, Doris Day. So... Um, because, you know, this is such a big deal, we thought, okay, fine, well, we, we, rather than playing a Star Wars clip, we're going to play a Doris Day clip. And a load of people wrote in and said, are you going to play that Doris Day clip? And for ages we went, let's not, let's play something that no one would expect. And then we went, oh, sod it, let's just play that Doris Day clip. So, here we go. Oh, my throat's as dry as a desert thistle in May. In the golden garter, going to wet my whistle today. Last of the ball. See, I kind of think we could just play the rest of that film and it would be fine, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> So the other thing was, there was this uh, news story about um, uh, spoilers. That, As you know, Avengers Endgame uh, is in cinemas at the moment. In fact, Jack Howard... Is Jack, are you here? Yeah, hello. Hello, Jack. Um, Jack Howard and I have done a, a spoilerific podcast about Avengers Endgame, which is going up in a couple of weeks' time. At the beginning, we do do a whole th thing about, you know, careful, because it's got spoilers in it. So we've, you know, we, we explain it's spoilers. But... 
the trailer for the new Spider-Man includes all these spoilers that are in Avengers. All these people were trying to go and see Avengers without hearing about anything that happened in the film. Somebody wrote into the Radio 5 show to say that they were halfway through the screening and some kid who was in the screening next door ran in and shouted the ending. Yeah, I know. But worse turned out that they, they actually ran the Superman trailer, the, the Spider-Man trailer, in front of some screenings. Oh, yeah, exactly, fine, okay? So we thought, okay, let's do top 10 spoilers. And then, because the you know, spoilers thing is the thing that critics get it in the neck for more than anything, I went, yeah, but you know, what about if there's people in the audience who haven't seen the film? So we did this thing, we think it's very clever. A list of the top 10 spoilers that only make sense if you know the film. Okay? Nick and I worked long and hard about this. The choreography is quite complicated. If it works, I would like a standing ovation. Okay, top 10 spoilers that only make sense if you've seen the film. Okay, Nick? Here we go. They all did it. His mum's been dead the whole time. He's been dead the whole time. He's his father. Her father's in the bookcase. Sounds like Lucifer. Oh, come on. Gwyneth's head. And all together, she's a guy, he's a ghost, it's a sledge. Okay, we're gonna show you a, a, a trailer. Um, usually we show you trailers for films. We are gonna show you a trailer for a book. The world is moving so fast, I can barely keep up with it. Here is a trailer for a book, Once Upon a Time in the West, shooting a masterpiece, written by the great Professor Sir Christopher Frayling. This aims to be the definitive book about Once Upon a Time in the West and all aspects of its making. It documents the production from its inception, the story by Bernardo Bertolucci, Dario Argento and Sergio Leone, to the screenplay, the designs by Carlo Simi, to its filming, and the set photographs of every single stage of the production by Angelo Novi. And I've also managed to talk, have conversations with just about everyone involved. So together, all of this shows, I think, it reveals what made Once Upon a Time in the West one of the most influential movies ever made. Once Upon a Time in the West is a movie that kind of taught me Know, demonstrated to me more, I guess you would say, like you, how one could direct a picture. This is everything you always wanted to know about Once Upon a Time in the West, and a great deal more besides. To talk about the book, please welcome to the stage Professor Sir Christopher Frayling. What, um, I mean, you and I know each other well, but one of the things I love most about introducing you is that I have to remember the order of the titles. 
it's Professor Sir, that way I round. wouldn't bother. I wouldn't bother. But do, you, do you ever, when you introduce yourself, you say, it's Chris, right? But you, do, or you don't say, hello, I am Professor. Because if, no. if I was, no, I would. No, except when you're trying to get a table at a restaurant. Oh, right, fine, okay. <laughs> then it sometimes works. And we're going to talk about the book, but I have to start by saying you interviewed Doris Day. I did. I did Can a TV programme with her in uh, uh, 1989. I interviewed her. I spent two days with her, actually, in Carmel, where she had a hotel called the Cypress Hotel. And well, she uh, had it as in she owned it. She owned it, yeah. Oh. Pets welcome. Very good. And, uh, <laughs> and the condition was uh, that we had to spend 10 minutes of the programme about dogs. Okay. So the first day we filmed in her dog's home, uh, where these amazing sort of little colonial mansions that each dog had. Uh, they were strays which had been neutered and she got them off the streets and everything. So that was the first day. And I look as though I want to be a million miles away with these dogs walking all over me. Never act with dogs, you know. You're not, you're not a dog person, Chris. I am in real life, but on the screen for some reason it didn't quite work, okay. me and the dogs. But then having done that, we spent all day. And it was, uh, I mean, I think it's the only extensive career interview she ever gave. And was she fabulous? Uh, she was incredible. And, um, uh, uh, she was very, very nervous because she'd retired in the 60s and by now we're 1989. Spent about half an hour deciding what dress to wear and we all had to give our view on three different dresses. Do you like the peach? Do you like the pink? So hang on. Do you like the light blue? Doris Day asked you for advice on not the just dresses. Me. You... Not just me, not just me. I but... just retire on that. Yes, well, and uh, well, no, after two people had been up to see her, uh, they came back and said, say pink, for Christ's sake, say pink. <laughs> we want to get going, you know. And uh, so I said, oh, pink, yes, wonderful. Anyway, so um, and what was interesting was there's all these legends about people putting gauze all over the lens yeah. and so on. But she chose as her cameraman a man called Rawlings, who'd shot Dallas, and it was rather expensive. The BBC rather balked at it, but he came. Mm. And what he did was he had one light outside the window, side light. She was in the corner of the room. One light the other side, one light behind her, so she had a halo, and no light at all on her face. Okay. And the result was you diffuse. got this extraordinary diffuse, soft-focused look, which looked as though there was gauze on the lens, but there wasn't. Wow, wow. Um, and it was, it was very exciting. She did was slightly embarrassingly at the end. She said, can I say hello to my friends uh, in England? And I said, yes, of course. And she turned to the camera and said, fish and chips, beer, I love you all. I thought, God. <laughs> I looked very, very embarrassed by this. And then she turned to me and said, this is the one, this is what you can retire on. She said, you know, Christopher, you remind me of David Niven in his prime. Oh, my God! And, uh, and, I, and I, I told my students this at the Royal College, and they all said, yeah, we always thought David Niven was a creep. You know, it's like, <laughs> great, yeah. So my street cred didn't shoot up on that one. I am going to move on to your book in just a second, because mm. I got you here. Is it possible to do a short version of the Pope thinking that you were that kind of rector. Oh, gosh, that's another... Well, that's a sort of Cary Grant-type story, yeah. like North by Northwest. OK. Um, to the year 2000, um, uh, I get a phone call from uh, Rome saying, would I like to come to a, uh, a conference at a university in Rome called Sapienza for university rectors? I was the then rector of the rector Royal College of, of the Royal College. Royal College. And they said, you know, have a nice hotel and two days conference. And I said, all right, let me think about it. So I phoned up the rector of Imperial College next door to the Royal College, and he said he'd been invited. And I phoned the vice-chancellor of London University who said he hadn't. Anyway, cut a long story short, got to Rome. Everybody else there was in holy orders except for me because it was rector in the university, in the uh, European, the European sense, sense so, of the word, as in so, rector. So, sea of dog collars. And I walk in, there's three things wrong with me. One, I'm not a priest. Two, I was the only English person. And third, I was running an art school. But never mind. But anyway, on the second. And also, you're an atheist. 
Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm a Christian, actually. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. But my, wife's a, my wife's a Catholic. She was terribly jealous about what happened next. And um, uh, the following day, uh, there was a plenary session with all of us. There were uh, professori, administratori, studenti, and this had been going on for two years. It was the culmination of a sort of pilgrimage <laughs> ending up in the jubilee, as they called it, the millennium. And this cardinal came up to me and said, come this way. And he walked down the center aisle with literally thousands of people at the Vatican Palace and said, what's your favorite Sir Giulione film? And I said, I'm discussing spaghetti westerns with, with a cardinal. He said, mine's a fistful of dollars. I said, oh, really, mine's the good, the bad, the ugly, actually, at the moment. Anyway, so we got up the stairs, went in, and there was the Pope, the Polish Pope. The Pope. The last one. The Pope. The Pope. The Pope. And he introduced me as Magnifici Rettori di Londra, which sounded all right. And, um, and the Pope leant forward and said, uh, this is all absolutely as it happened. He said, what do you intend to do with your university for the Jubilee and beyond? And I said, somebody up there must have been on my side. I said, my ambition, Your Holiness, is to bring the enchantment back into the arts. He said, is good. <laughs> anyway, and uh, but the thing was... The thing was, I was there completely under false pretense, just like Cary Grant in North by Northwest. Yeah, yeah. I was in the wrong movie. Yes. You know. but, it, but it got worse. Uh, uh, the following day, St. Peter's Square, I was trying to look anonymous, come this way, sit in the front row, and uh, there's Rye Television and the Pope's officiating at Mass and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I, I really felt completely under false pretenses. But I have a photograph of me chatting to the Pope about the enchantment of the arts, which is my souvenir of that. A uh, little postscript. About a year, six months later, the Cardinal phoned me up in London and said, you know, I did you a favor and got you an audience with the Pope. I said, yes. And he said, well, I'd like you to give a talk to all these seminarians in North London, in, in uh, Finchley, uh, about the enchantment of the arts and uh, et cetera. <laughs> so, uh, I, all right, all right, I owe you one. So I did this talk, and at the end of the talk, they were all young, budding Catholic priests. I said, I've got a confession to make. Yeah, I thought it's a good moment to give a confession, really, in this. Uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not in holy orders. Uh, I was there under four pretenses and uh, I shouldn't really have been there at all and and the man stood up and said uh, that talk wasn't too bad pause for a non-catholic and then and, and then he said I was the first non-catholic to give a talk in that seminary since Tudor time so there you are uh, anyway sorry that's a long no, no, it's, it's a, like a know, shaggy dog story but I've still got this photo which is quite extraordinary yeah no I am I am really impressed anyway book onto the book Chris. yes yes so it is this is I mean it doesn't come more definitive uh, than this we have a couple of clips from from, we showed the trailer. We've got a couple of clips yeah. from Once Upon a Time in the West. Then yes. they're quite close to each other in the film. Introduce us to the first one, and then we'll talk about the right. book. The first one is the the entry of Henry Fonda. Leone set out to make, you know, the ultimate Western, which made reference to all the great classic Hollywood Westerns. And in it Italy, the title is Cera una volta il West, which means Once Upon a Time there was the West. Right. right? Once upon a time, there was the American West in the 19th century. Once upon a time, there was the Western, when they still made Westerns. And once upon a time, Leone, as a young boy, went to see all these Hollywood movies in Trastevere in Rome at the time of the fascist yeah. regime. So he was determined to make a Western for people who don't really buy the ideology of the Western, for, you know, the children of Marx and Coca-Cola, as Goddard called them in the 60s. So he was constantly, the scenes in this film, which you think you've seen before, but you haven't. 
And you, that's the whole trick of the movie. Okay. And above all, he wanted to cast Henry Fonda as a baddie. Uh, he tried to get him, you know, for the Clint Eastwood part in okay. A Fistful of Dollars, but his agent didn't even give him the script. He thought it was so bad. So at last he had a chance. So here's the Henry Fonda who was, you know, young Mr. Lincoln, Wyatt Earp in My Darling Clementine, The Grapes of Wrath, the ultimate in American innocence and nobility with those lovely blue eyes, and he plays a psychopathic bad guy. And this is his moment of entrance, which is almost operatic. Leone said that, you know, as that camera comes round, round uh, Henry Fonda's shoulder, you see his cheek puffed out with uh, tobacco, and he wanted everyone in the audience to say in unison, Jesus Christ, it's Henry Fonda. <laughs> Which is exactly what they did. And uh, he'd never played a baddie like that before. Now, you describe this as everything you ever wanted to know about yeah. uh, Once Upon a Time, and it is really definitive. And I mean, I, I've had the pleasure of working with you on a, on a horror project, and I, I'm in awe of how much, you know, you know. But the thing about this is, it's you. You love it. You yeah. can tell how much you. I once wrote a book, book about The Exorcist, and somebody d described it as everything you never wanted to know about The Exorcist, but was scared Mark was going to tell you anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's but, a slight element of that. But, but yeah. no. But what's? I mean, it really does feel like you've lived and breathed. Well, it's great. I, I did when I did a biography of Leone uh, about ten years ago, a bit longer actually. I did all these interviews with all these people who are now dead, who were involved in the production. Yeah. And I just used snippets of them in the biography. And I thought, well, why don't I transcribe the entire interview? So I've got the interviews of all these people. Then I had a real stroke of luck. A, a young Italian research student was working in the archives in Rome, which are in complete chaos. Right. And he came across this brown envelope, which hadn't been catalogued, and which didn't have any name on it. And inside it was a day-by-day -day shooting schedule for Once Upon a Time in the West, the original story by Bertolucci, Argento, and Leone, which is the Holy Grail, yeah, yeah. I mean, which they wrote before it got to the screenplay stage. And all these wonderful, one goldmine of information. And I thought, right, why don't I put all this together? Then the publisher said, quite rightly, you don't want to make it 60s nostalgia. Get Tarantino on the cover. A bit letter smaller than mine, I hope, but there we are. And uh, get him to introduce it. So go over and interview him, turn it into joined up writing. Not easy. <laughs> That's another story. It doesn't finish sentences. But, um, and uh, so Tarantino introduces it and, uh, and says all sorts of things like, you know, this was the movie that he, he wanted to be an actor and the movie that encouraged him to become a director was Once Upon a Time in the West. We buffed each other into submission for about five hours. It was quite extraordinary. There was nobody there so actually was it a nerdathon? It, it was a nerdathon. And I mean, he was uh, mentioning increasingly obscure bad Italian movies and I was saying, but haven't you seen an even more obscure bad Italian movie? But his knowledge is encyclopedic of, of Italian 60s cinema, not just spaghettis, but cop movies and horror movies and all yeah, the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. And so we buffed ourselves away like two stags, you know, for several hours. And out of it came, came this introduction. One thing he said that was interesting about this film was that, you know, Morricone wrote the music in advance and uh, it was played by an orchestra on the set with an open reel tape recorder to create atmospheres. And Tarantino said that whole way of movie making where you do a sampler of a record or something, you choose your favorite tunes and you structure the story around those tunes and then you cut the movie to those tunes, yeah. like him with surf music or whatever, yeah. starts with this movie. Because cause the music is the organising device yeah. to the entire picture. And of course, that, that was something that Ken Russell did as well. We, yes, you know. to some extent, except that this is actually, actually you know, writing a, a new score yeah. uh, before, yeah. before it even starts shooting. 
one final question. What's the thing you're most proud of in the book? What's the, 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 the one thing that you, that you think, okay, I really nailed that? I think it's finding this original story by the young Dario Argento, the young Bernardo Bertolucci, the young Leone. They saw hundreds and hundreds of Hollywood westerns and decided to do a requiem for this great form of cinema. And, so they can, and it's very different to the finished screenplay. But this is the moment where these wonderful three film buffs got together in 1967 and produced this story. I'm thrilled to have actually been able to reproduce that. Well, it's a brilliant piece of work. Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Professor Sir Christopher Frayling. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so it's the, it's the section they've been trying to kill. Guilty pleasures still carries on, no matter how not guilty people continue to be. Every month we ask somebody, say, I like it, I'm not guilty, we don't care. So, um, uh, this is brilliant. Not only is it a brilliant guilty pleasure, it's also um, a brilliant guest. Uh, I mean, the credits are Stupid, Space, W1A, Shaun of the Dead. Um, She's appeared uh, with Jack Howard. Jack, you here? Don't big your part up. Um, <laughs> recently uh, won a BAFTA and has recently directed uh, and starred in a uh, uh, feature film, which is out in the Now let's have a quick look at the trailer for that before we welcome to the stage the brilliant Jessica Hines. You still want to learn to fight? Yeah. First lesson, give up guilt. I'm doing this for us. You know, somebody's got to fight. You haven't changed, have you? I have spent a lifetime living my dreams up here. I just wanted to explain something I... I never really understood before. Ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Hines! It's 
just no point in doing your credits because it's kind of, you know, it's like gentleman, scholar, acrobat. It's just, you've kind of covered the whole... And, and recently, you know, awards garlanded, quite rightly so. But which, which part of your fantastic career are you most proud of? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, I don't know. I suppose I've... I, um I suppose I could say there's some been high points, but you know. I okay, don't... so high points. Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't think of any now. Um, I can't think of any. Tell I mean... you what, shall we show a clip um, of you being fabulous <laughs> in awards-winning style, and then Thank you can think you. of. Uh, okay, let's okay, do that. I'll think of okay, something while you're doing this. Okay. Um... Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Mm. <sighs> <sighs> Where would I hide a poo? Mm. It's definitely out of the box. Yeah, that's a poo on the loose. Mm. Freshly baked. And smell the piquant freshness. Yeah, under the bed. Mm. Ooh, ooh, check behind the radiator. Where's Rosie? Is this Tegate up? Left it the magic mix, please. So I can't think of anything. <laughs> I can't think of one thing. Are I mean, you I, are you naturally very modest? Are you do you sort of generally just like do all these things and, and you know and, and just, but just go like oh it's just a thing that I'm. I'm a bit like that actually, and and a lot of my family are always going. I didn't know you were up for what, what? You didn't say you were on a, a thing. I am a bit like that. Um, yeah. You know what I'm really impressed by. <laughs> You know what I'm really impressed by? What are you impressed by? You've worked with by? Jack Howard. I mean, it's a yes, really... Yes, that, that'll Jack, be it. are you here today? It'll be that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yes, I am, and I'm always thinking, you know... Um, yeah, I'm quite restless in that way. Like, I'm always thinking, OK, I'm going to do something really good, you know, like, in the future, I'm really going to... You know, I'm a bit like that. I'm a bit like that. Do you watch your own stuff back? I mean, obviously, when you're directing, obviously, but I, I mean, do. I mean, I really... Um, I loved, I really enjoyed W1A because it's yeah. just so funny. Can I just and, say that working... the other characters, and as, I like watching it. But know. as somebody who works at the BBC, I... I... <laughs> I mean, I know everyone says this, but it's like a bloody documentary. It is really... It's, it's, it's like it would be funny if it wasn't so close to the truth. I know, it really is. And I, but, you know, I love watching it because obviously I don't see it or everything everybody else does, and... You know, Jason Watkins, I just love him in it. But, you know, all, all of the, the people in it are so good. I love it. So I like watching that. But, yeah, my, my son's got a friend who says he, he's got a friend who works there and they, they have WNA meetings and they, like, refer to them as WNA meetings and, and then they parody WNA at the meetings. And by the sounds of it, that's all they do. They don't actually, <laughs> don't actually then have a meeting. They just go into a room, pretend to be from WNA and then go, back, go about their business. That's what happens at the BBC, these days. I, 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 was, I had to go down to, to, the, to the news channel to do the, the film review thing that I do and I couldn't get to the studio to do it because they were filming W1A. Right. So it's like, but I'm literally here in real life. I have to go and no, no, no. So look, we asked you to choose a, um, uh, a guilty pleasure yeah. and you came up with, it was a really interesting choice, okay? Yeah. Because I have to say when I first 
Okay, what well, is... Well, I wanted to be honest. Yeah, go ahead. Because I think when someone says Honesty's your good. guilty pleasure, you kind of think, okay, I'm not going to tell them my actual guilty pleasure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell them something that makes me look a little bit cleverer and cooler and more kind of creatively sort of savvy. And I, I did think about choosing idiocracy, which is actually... is, But I don't know if that counts as a guilty pleasure. It's not guilty. That's like, it's not guilty, no, is it? Because it's, it's technically, it's a clever, yeah, clever sort choice. of iconic, yeah. you know, film. And then I thought, oh no, Zoolander 2, that is genuinely, it's a genuinely, genuinely, I mean, no. no. <laughs> Zoolander 2, which I have watched more than 50 times. No. <laughs> See, what, what, but it's my go-to. I love it. I what love I love it. about that choice is not Zoolander, Zoolander 2. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that. Yeah, yeah. But indeed, in fact, the superior film, I believe, Zoolander 2. Yeah. Oh, they, sorry. <laughs> Okay, so there's some ones here. Yeah, I mean, there I, are. There it's are. just for me, and I mean, the, the, the bits I've chosen, which are, you know, Ansel and his orgy, or his orgy being his orgy, <laughs> which for those of you who haven't seen it, is uh, Ansel who. We'll get there, we'll okay. get there. Yeah, that's okay. not the first we'll we'll thing. We, we, we have to do it in the order of the film. We, okay. have, we have to start with. The opening. <laughs> we have to start with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. So tell us. Tell us. Ju- it, it's a parody of. of so many films where Justin Bieber's like running through the streets of an Italian city being chased on these, with the, on these guys on motorbikes who've got these helmets on faces and it's all the shots are sort of brilliantly parodied of, of that kind of like um, style and he gets trapped in a thing and he runs up to a door and can we're I about to, okay. we're about to watch it so gonna, just don't but it's just I don't know if you're going to play unfortunately the whole sequence is amazing right to the end I don't we, know if we're we going to go right to the end okay. yeah. just enjoy it okay <laughs> Sting! Sting, open up! It's Beaver! Sting! Come on! Sting! It's Beaver, bro! Open the door! Oh, fudge! We will protect the chosen one. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> See, here's the thing. When Zoolander 2 came out, I was really disappointed because I really loved the original Zoolander. But watching that clip back in, that is really funny. That is yeah. properly funny. But the rest of it... I loved it. I'm okay. so, I loved it. I mean, I just loved... I loved that from when Hansel, Hansel's orgy, which we're going to see. Yeah, we will see Hansel's orgy, yes. I just... You know, I just, I, I just really loved it. I, just, I think I just was just drawn into it, and I just, I, I. Had you loved Zoolander? Yes, I'd loved Zoolander. And you thought the Zoolander to raise the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I suppose it's not really. It's not really a case of raising the game, is it? I mean, it's. It, it, I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just. I just got more of what I wanted. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, but I, I, you know. How do you? How could you raise the game of Zoolander One? Exactly, I don't know. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's sort of more a case of what is it? A building going, for ants? I mean, it's how do you? you yeah, know. yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I suppose it, maybe they lowered the game. Yeah. And maybe that's why it, I loved it. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I see. I think the game was lowered, but I also think that having seen that clip and the clip which we were about to show, when you said it gave me more of what I wanted, meaning yeah. Hansel's orgies. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I and I think that you know I, I I don't go to Zoolander for a raised game. No. I go to Zoolander for this. Okay. Let's have a look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hansel. 
Okay, you guys have a talk. I'm going to a bar. That's a good idea. Go, yeah, go. Hey, you are a basic go. bitch. Come on, let's go. Come on, out. I can kill you. Please, let, let, let me just explain. Guys, you didn't even give me a chance to explain. Handel, how can you expect to love 11 people when you don't even love yourself? I hope they were worth it. Do you, do you know what I love most about that clip? Yeah. The sound of you laughing through it. <laughs> and, and this is the thing I love about this, is the whole point of the guilty pleasure thing is it's what actually delights you. And you said you've seen it 50 plus times. Yeah, but I've you were laughing all the way through that. It makes me laugh. So if you're like in a, you know, in a funk or whatever it is, is it just something you will put on and it always works for you? Yeah, I mean, there's a few, but yes, definitely. I mean, not, I mean but this is definitely the, the kind of guiltiest, I okay. suppose. What are the other ones? Well, I, I don't know, just... Um, uh, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't just like. I mean, uh, th there are films I really enjoy, but then I'll th I, I don't want to sound like a wanker. Do you know? <laughs> You're amongst friends. It's fine. Um, well, I really like. Um, I like. Uh, I like look, find, finding new films, and I like. Um, I really like. I really, uh, one, one film I've, I've been re-watching, it sounds so pretentious, but I, it's The Chess Players by Satajit Ray, which I really like. And I've been re-watching that, which I really enjoy. It's not pretentious. Uh, no, I, but I, but I uh, yeah, and I, and I just kind of like, I really, I, I'm feeling frustrated at the moment with, um, with online streaming. And I feel like really sort of like I need to find another way of finding films to watch because okay. I can feel myself kind of atrophying in that in that in that environment what and you I, mean? I, well I can't find the films I want and I've I was recently trying to find farewell my concubine and I felt on um, Netflix or Amazon or any of those I mean I probably should be on more film platforms but I can't you know I'm always fishing for another film to watch or yeah. another film to watch or something else to watch but um or, or an old film that I haven't seen that I might not have on DVD um and uh, and, and I'm, I'm just amazed how, how little there is actually Online. Sounds to me like you need a bespoke uh, <laughs> streaming service, <laughs> you know, with, a, with an incredible collection yes, of movies I do. That's, that's, that's well curated. Yes, yes I do, I do. <laughs> I, the BFI player may be, okay. the, may be the thing for you. I think what's I what's need the that. subscription price? It's, Nick, it's like nothing, isn't it? It's, it's very, very, right, very, okay. very, it's a great service and it's just, you know, yeah. it's fabulous, fabulous stuff on there. Um, what have you seen recently that you've loved? Oh, gosh. Um, oh... Do you go to the cinema? I went to see... Yeah, No, no, I do. no, don't, don't ask that. I go out to the cinema, yeah. yeah. I went to see... Um, well, I saw Cold War, which, oh, which, which, I, which I saw... Because um, I was interested in seeing Cold War and Roma because I knew that those were the two films that was kind of... I thought that was very interesting, that, that, that the fact that, that they were both, you know, in kind of Oscar contenders at the same time. And I yeah. thought it was a shame in a way because either of them could have won, you know, had they been on different years, but it felt like that, that it was just unfortunate that they were kind of put up against each other. Um, as I really felt, I really did enjoy Cold War. Um, it's fabulous. It's really fabulous. And um, shouldn't Thomas Cotter have been the new Bond villain? Um, it's, which one was Thomas Cotter? Was he? So, Thomas Cotter is the main guy in Cold War, and then and then and then. Don't put me on the spotlight. Oh no, that. no, fine. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Because I he don't think he, he should. No. Oh really? No. Oh okay. Why? Why? What new Bond villain? Yes. You think he should have been? Well, that's why. Unless I'm. Yeah, that's why Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle wanted him to be, and then ah. he. And then he. Then he's not. I don't know. Oh, but actually, yeah, now it's going to be Rami Malek, right? So actually, Rami Malek is great. Yeah, I mean, he was really good, but I wouldn't have necessarily. I wouldn't have immediately thought, oh yes, he'd be a good boy. I'm sure he would. Just because he's a brilliant actor, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. I've turned this into a sort of, you know, yeah. I'm sorry, you know, Inquisition, um, which I didn't mean it to be at all. what so, else? Uh, yeah. No, 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 it's OK. So you love Cold War. You do still go out to the movies. Yeah, I love going to the movies. Um, kind of going and seeing sort of whatever is, you know, there's things. Like, whenever there's a Wes Anderson film, we always go to see that, like, in, in, in a, on a big screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and... Um, yeah, I'm just sort of whatever, you know, takes my fancy. I suppose there's things that I really... I wanted to see the um, the Aretha Franklin documentary. Brilliant. Um, and I haven't got to that, oh, got to it yet, but I, I really do want to go and see that. But um, That's a genuinely spiritual experience. It's yeah, really fabulous. I, I bet. The thing about Wes Anderson, somebody said to me, you know, if, you know, at the end of Wes Anderson movies, if they now the big thing with movies, you have outtake, you know, joke reels, mm. when people get things wrong. They said in a Wes Anderson movie, the outtake joke reel would consist of somebody sitting at a desk in which a pencil is slightly on the squiff and a little <laughs> About laughing. <laughs> yeah. So, listen, I'm, yeah. I, I still think that Zoolander 2 is an inferior film to Zoolander, but what I love about it is how much you enjoy it, and I think the yeah. key essence of the guilty pleasure is, is that. Um, also, I think the fact that you've, you know, as I said, your CV is so extraordinary, and you do seem to be fantastically self-effacing about it. Um, what's the worst film you've ever seen? And doesn't no judgment go? Spitting airs, um, the Eric Idle film. I couldn't, I couldn't get through it with Catherine Zeta-Jones. I saw it at Cannes, and it's the only thing I've ever walked out of. I just couldn't watch it. I felt terrible for saying that, but it's true. No, it's awful. Yeah, I'm amazed that you saw it. Yeah, I saw it at Cannes, and I, and I and I just thought, and I was seeing so many films anyway, and I just thought, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I just can't, and I and I and I and I, and I remember it because I think it's the only time I ever actually have just thought it doesn't matter. I can go and get some rosé I'm gonna I'm sure they wouldn't mind and, and there's there were a few other people in the cinema but so yes. do you do the festival thing um uh no I mean I was only there because I think I was I, I don't know if it was the time I think it was the first time I went and I had a small part um in in a in in a in a kind of um in a film oh no no yeah a small, a small part in a Peter Greenaway film and, and, and I knew it was in Cannes and some people who were in it who were, who were Dutch were there and had said why don't you come on I was very young I was only like 19 or something and they said come and um, come and stay and share in our flat and you can you know and I got an artist pass and I was just it was very exciting but I but I got all my bat, I got my bat I, I, I wound up getting into a party and I'd, or I had my bag straight from the airport and then I had my whole, all of my Franks, I was just cleaned out. I was cleaned out. I just left my bag in a, in a, it was a house party. So I got totally robbed, but I still had a, I had a, I had a great time. It was just a great few days. We were just sharing a flat with these Dutch actors and just go, going to see as many films as I could with yeah. my, with my little artist pass. Um, but yeah, but funnily enough, it's the only film I really remember from the festival. I don't, <laughs> apart from what else did I see? I think I, I saw, I saw an amazing, like a punk film with um, Jesse Birdsall in it. Jesse Birdsall. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Jesse Birdsall. Because I look exactly like Jesse Birdsall. Do you? No. No. There was a time years ago that Jesse Birdsall and I used to get mistaken for each oh, other. Oh, okay. And then, no, and then he stayed the same and I turned into Richard Nixon. Right. And so now we no longer look the same. It's the gra Honestly, literally, my mother once rang up and said, there's a photograph of you in the paper. This was right. in the 80s. Yes. And it was Jesse Birdsall in Annika. Right. Yeah. But, and that was, but then now we don't look anything like each other at all. But I think Jesse Birdsall fabulous yeah but I, I just sort of saw lots of films and um, I can't remember what the big film but I remember I got quite near to um, uh, Denzel Washington walked about like sort of yeah, like, this is a can <laughs> like Jesse um, no not Jesse uh, Denzel Washington walked about 15 foot 
you know, bar. I was, it was about 50 foot away, all past me. And I was just like, oh, I couldn't believe it. It was very exciting. But yeah. I have to say, I'm so thrilled that you came on the show. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you. And you are every, everyone I spoke to said, she's just fabulous. And she's complete. And everyone said, you're really self-effacing. Oh, it's, really it's, nice. it's, and particularly since, you know, your, your awards win, it, it's a real pleasure. Zoolander 2 is a properly guilty pleasure, which, you know, God bless you for doing that. As I said, you have the most extraordinary CV. And this has just been a dream. So thank you so much. Everybody, Pleasure. please join me in thanking Jessica. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Come It On Film podcast. If you like the sound of the MK3D show and you'd like to come along, just go to the BFI website online. But bear in mind, they do sell out pretty quickly. I hope to see you at one of the live shows in the near future. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.